That's awesome, isn't it? Brilliant. You know, uh, anyway, let, let, let's let the kids go out to their, their groups. And then we'll, we'll, kind of, we'll, we'll move on. But just, um, I think one thing to realize that, that came out in what Connie was saying is this, that we're not on our own when we share the gospel. You see, the Holy Spirit goes ahead of us and he prepares hearts. In, in John, Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes, basically what he's going to do is go and convict people. He's not going to convict those who already believe. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying he's going to convict the world, those who don't believe. So the Holy Spirit is always attacking people's hearts. He's always working on people's hearts. And if we, if we will step out, we'll see fruit. We'll see people come into the kingdom. So that's really encouraging. It's really encouraging that God doesn't leave us on our own to try and talk people in, isn't it? That he actually is working on people's hearts before uh, we get into it. And, and we ever open our mouths. Because it isn't a coincidence that people are just talking about these things when you ask them a question. It isn't a coincidence that these things are on people's mobile phones. It's a result of the Holy Spirit at work. And when we, when we pray, when we intercede, what we can do is we can ask the Holy Spirit to go on missions. And then we can be the answer to our own prayer of following through on that mission. So we can send him ahead of us to convict hearts, to draw hearts into the kingdom. Amen? Amen. I've got no idea where my stand is, or where my notes are, whatever. But anyway, I'm starting a new series this week. It's, uh, I guess it's a, a universal topic. I thought we'd uh, we do something completely different for a few weeks, and then we come back to the things that God's talking about to us about growing and going. Um, but this series I've called Fracture. I had some more emotive names for it, but I settled on Fracture. And it's all about what happens when relationships go bad. What do you do? What are you expected to do? What should you do? What shouldn't you do? And one of the things that you find is there's a lot of guidance in God's word for this. Now, if I guess, you know, I'm, not, I'm hoping I'm kind of not alone in this, but... As I've gone through life, I've had a number of relationships that have gone bad, a number of friendships that have gone bad. I think if you're at all around in a church context, there's stuff that goes bad. There's people and, and situations that don't turn out like you would hope they would do. And, uh, you know, as I've gone through life, I've experienced those. Some have been quite small and, and little and you think, and you move on. Some are huge and they're harder to move on from. And so I want to explore the, that, that theme, really. Because I think we're probably all in that position, aren't we? That we've got some stuff, we've got some people, we've got some relationships that no matter how hard we've tried, have proved to be pretty insoluble. In fact, to us, they've often proved to be incomprehensible. And the more we try and... And, and get along, the more it gets bad. The, the worse it gets, not better. And I think that's something that we, we all experience, isn't it? Put, put your hand up if, you, if that's something you've experienced. Is there anybody perfect? No, I, I think nearly everybody's got their hand up. So that, that's good, because we have nobody claiming to be perfect. 
and to get along with everybody. The only person that I've come across who gets along with everybody is Cheryl. <laughs> and even if she didn't, I wouldn't dare tell her. But it's like this. We, we all have relationships that are characterized by fracture. Large fractures, small fractures, cracks, whatever. And, you know, you can see it developing, and, and it happens all the time, you know, it, just like you, you come into work, you can, you can be getting on with somebody, but then they stick their smelly curry in the microwave every lunchtime. It irritates you, it pongs the office out. People start complaining, people start falling out. And if only they wouldn't stick their smelly stuff in the microwave, eh? And, and there's all sorts of things that come along in life that irritates us. And here's one of the things that I've discovered that the healthiest of relationships can actually go wrong in a moment. And that, 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 that shocks us, doesn't it? It shocks us when that happens. But nevertheless, it's true. But it's not that the relationships don't go wrong. It's what we do when they do that is important. Because every single relationship at some point will have a tension in it. Even the best of relationships at some points have tension in it. You know, you look back through church history, the, the great men and women of God, and often there was, they, they set out and there'd be a few of them together and they'd minister really effectively for get together for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and at the end of it, they all end up falling out. And that's because the enemy gets into these things and our flesh gets into these things. And uh, we want to know how to handle it. And here's the, here's the thing that, how we handle the difficult situations actually determines the quality of our life. How we, gonna ha how we handle these relationships determines the quality of our life. And I'm sure given that you all put your hand up, you've got some relationships that really improve the quality of your life and you've all had a few that have really messed it up and, and, and sort of absorbed all your energy, your thoughts, your, your, your passion and all the rest of it. Uh, you know, I remember, this is a number of years ago, and I remember a situation where uh, there's somebody that, that Cheryl and I were close to, and they got really wound up about something that was actually quite small. And what they got really wound up was about was who was invited to attend a conference and who was giving each other lifts. And they got really wound up about that, got very upset about it, until one Sunday morning, they, they, they confronted somebody in the corridor at church. It's, you know, years back when we were in a different building and really went for them. And then that didn't go too well. So they came to me and they said, Mark, this is what's happened. Either they go or I go. And I said, well, I can't, I'm not going <laughs> I can't do that. That's not how this works. This is not how faith works. This is not how the kingdom works. Well, either they go or I go. And they went and they never came back. And that's really sad because they, they, you know, lots of friendships were fractured, lots of relationships were fractured and have never been restored. And the quality of everybody's life, but particularly that person's life, was really affected. And, and you look back down over the years and, and you trace the story and you really see how, how that, that life has been affected by that and how, you know, where, where they were supported previously, that, that support went. 
And so you get these challenges and you get these really difficult times. And the energy we expend on those relationships robs us of the life that Jesus came to give us. Amen? And here's the thing. I just want to try to go up front with this. But a few years ago, I was really struggling with, with, with a few relationships. They, they were horrible. And they were really, it really affected me. So when, when it all came to a head and, and after that, I decided that I, I really wanted to understand what God was showing in that so that we all didn't have to go through that again. And I came across this guy, and, and, he, and he made a few statements, and, and it actually revolutionized my whole perspective on things. Because we, we get very hung up on everything having to be perfect because we're Christians, and then feeling guilty because everything isn't perfect and we can't sort it. And I was listening to a, a guy, and he's got this amazing name. He's called Clay Scroggins. He's not English, as you can tell. He's called Clay Scroggins. And he, and he made a few statements in, in a talk he was, he was doing, and he worked through a few principles. And I thought, that is just so... Um, anointed it's so touched by God what you're saying there and so a lot of what I learned in the aftermath of that awful time was uh, as a result of these statements that he made and here's, here's the first statement he made and, and this is kind of the real key that I discovered you see as Christians we think that every relationship has to be fixed or we've failed. This is what he said, and then he showed it from the word. You can have peace about the relationship without peace in the relationship. You can have peace about a relationship without achieving peace in a relationship. And... Peace is what actually gives us happiness in life. When, when, when we can find peace, that's when we're happy. And so, you see, here's the thing. Some relationships are not fixable. Some relationships should actually not be fixed because they're destructive. And so we have to find a way of having peace about a relationship without necessarily having peace in a relationship. And Jesus tells us how to do that, and Paul tells us how to do that. They lay down certain principles when they're talking about relationships and how we, we work with each other. And that's kind of where this series is based on. And we're going to look at those, those principles that Jesus and Paul lay down. And I'm going to start with a really important verse this morning. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Now, really need to pay attention to this verse because it's actually the only one you're getting this morning. So if you, if, you like, if you like to write all your verses down, you've only got one to write down this morning. Why? Because I think this verse is so important, I don't want to move on from it till we've got it. Is that okay? So I'm not going to barrage you with loads of verses because I want you to really focus on this one. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If it is possible... So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. 
if it's possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now, the person who wrote this, the Apostle Paul, he, he had some serious bad blood going on in his life. Because basically, what had happened is Paul had spent a lot of his life persecuting people, murdering people, and locking them up in prison. And those people that he was doing that to were Christians, new believers. And he now finds himself, having started to believe, become a believer in Jesus, he now finds himself having to get along with these very people that he's been persecuting. And he's now got to relate to people where he's put family members in prison. He might even have put them in prison. He might have ordered the murder of people in their families and now he's got to get along with them. And some of them didn't want to know. And that's kind of understandable, isn't it? Here's something else Paul had to do. All those people he'd previously got along with when he was persecuting the Christians, he was now the enemy of. So he was trying to be the friend of people that he'd made an enemy of, and he now was making an enemy of those who'd been his friends. And there's kind of a lot of bad blood going on. There was a lot of fractured relationships. There was a lot of destroyed relationships. Now, here's what I want you to see. It's that little phrase, if it is possible... If it is possible. Here's the point. It might not be. Sometimes it shouldn't be. <coughs> Do you realise God says things like this? Sometimes it's okay not to fix something. If it's possible, do it. What he's really saying is this. If it's possible, try. Don't not try, but it might not be possible. Don't just like walk away, turn your back and give up, because it might be possible, but it might not. So try. Try to fix it. But try to do it in a certain way. Because... If you're going to fix it at all, this is how you need to do it. That's kind of what he's saying. And here's the thing I, I think with Paul. When you trace his story, there's people he thought that it all would all, all work out with, and it didn't. And there's people he'd written off, and it actually works out with them. So we can't always predict the ones that are going to turn around. We can't always predict the relationships that are going to be healed. We can't always predict how that's going to happen, but what Paul is saying is, so far as it belongs to you, try. Try. So far as it's possible. Here's the thing I, I think he's saying, because I like to look at what people don't say and look at it the other way around. Here's what he's saying. The pursuit of peace is not a pointless exercise, even if it doesn't work. The pursuit of peace is not a pointless exercise, even if it doesn't work. Now, I'm trying to be real with you this morning, because I think Paul is real. 
I think Jesus is real about these things. And sometimes we can, as Christians, we can be unreal about things and it's unhelpful to us. Because then the enemy uses it and he uses it to bring guilt and a constant feeling of failure. Because the enemy tries to get us to do things that aren't possible and then kicks us because we can't do the impossible. Whereas God encourages us and he says, this is what I want you to do. So far as it's possible, try. But it might not be possible. Let's go on in, in this verse. He then says, so far as it depends on you. So far as it depends on you. Here's the thing. When, when relationships go bad or they start to go bad, my mum used to always say this, there's always two sides to a story. Well, there always is two sides to a story, but they're not, what we have to appreciate is that they're not always equal sides. And we can't fix the other person. You can't fix somebody else. You know, some people think that, that pastors should be able to fix everybody. Well, we can't fix anybody. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but we can't fix anybody. Only Jesus fixes people, and he can only do that when they've got a willing heart. So we can't fix other people. The only thing we can fix is what we've done wrong. And if there is two sides to an, a, every story, there will be stuff that we've done wrong. And, uh, you know, you can't take back what you've done wrong. And, and what Paul's saying here is, so far as it depends on you, you can't take back what you've done wrong, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to do everything that you can do so far as it depends on you. And there's something that I've discovered in these things. There is a power in restoring relationships that I call the power of the first mover. And what I mean by this is you can't wait for the other person to make the first move because they may never do so. So when Paul is saying, as far as it depends on you, there's an onus on you to be the first mover, to try and and, and bring some reconciliation, to bring some restoration. And so there's a real power about going first rather than waiting for the other person to come to you. Even if you think they're totally wrong, there's a power in looking at what you did and saying, to that extent, I was wrong. It might be tiny compared to what the other person's done to you, but it begins with us making the first move and saying, to that extent, I was wrong. Are you with me? Okay, good. We're doing well so far this morning. Now, here's my question. When you've got a, a fractured relationship, and I don't know what that looks like for you, it looks different for every one of us because they always involve different people, don't they? But every fractured relationship looks different. But here's the question. When you've got a fractured relationship or you've experienced a fractured relationship like that, where do you put all your energy? You put it on the other person, don't you? You know, when, when we were talking earlier about what comes out of our mouths, when we, when we have these sort of relationships, a lot of the stuff that comes out is about the other person. Yeah. It's about what they've done. It's about what they're not doing to fix things. It's about where they are. 
And, you know, we get things like, if only they would change, or if they would stop doing that, or, um, you know, if only they were different, um, if they would quit doing these things, if they would do what they say they would do. And we, we absorb this energy and we mull it over and we, we think about it and we speculate and we surround it with all sorts of things and it becomes consuming. Why is it consuming? Because we can't fix it. And if we allow it to consume us for the length of time we can't fix it, it will consume us for the rest of our life. It's something uh, that, that I, I found that it really... Some, you know, people do a lot of things to you in life. And um, I remember this is like, I don't know, several years ago now. And uh, Cheryl and I really tried to help somebody. And they, were, they needed some uh, money in order to allow them to stay in the UK. So when you come to the UK on visas from certain countries, you have to prove you've got so much money already there in order to come to do studying and all the rest of it. And we, we were asked, would we help? Or in fact, we were pleaded with, would we help? And so we lent this person some money. And they said, basically, the idea is it sits in a bank account for the amount of time that they're in the UK, and then they give you it back. Because that gives then, uh, you know, the, whoever's granting the visas kind of a security that money's there rather than relying on our own social services and all the rest of it. That's the logic of it. And so what happened with this one is that we, we helped, we, we, we gave the money. It was quite a large sum of money. And the person disappeared. And we found out, you know, a, a year or so later that the money had just been spent on flights and living expenses when they'd returned back to the country they'd come from. So it was gone. And that, some things don't annoy me, but that one really annoyed me. I don't know, I don't know why it really annoyed me, but it's like everything that we, we needed and couldn't afford became the fault of that person. Because if they'd paid the money back, we'd have been able to do this. If they'd pay that money back, if they'd just sort themselves out. And what made it worse is about three or four years later, this person actually rang me up and said, I've need, I, I, I do intend to put it right, and I just need another month or so to, to put the, the money together. Will you forgive me? And I said, yeah. <laughs> well, that was three years ago, and it still hasn't arrived. So you have to learn how to move on from these things and not let it eat you away. I mean, I, I, I think it's kind of funny now, you know, like, because one thing it did teach me is that that person isn't my source. God's my source. God can sort anything out if I'll give him my energy instead of the other person my energy. Do you, do you understand that? And yet we get so absorbed with the other person taking all our energies on things and all our thoughts and all our thinking. Now, Here's the thing, here's where we need to put our energy, according to Paul, on ourselves. We should be the focus. What Paul is saying in his verses, instead of saying, let's talk about what the other person's done, let's have a chat about you. Let's have a chat about you. Have a look at you. 
And which piece of the problem depends on you? Well, in my case, what depended on me is the fact that I'd made a mistake because I felt I had a check from God not to do it, but my overriding compassion told me to lend the money. And so I realized that I'd actually not responded to what the Holy Spirit was showing me. And, and we can do stupid things like that. So even though it's not a big piece, I've got to own up to that piece of the pie that was my fault because that's what depends on me. And, and I, I had to go to God and say, God, I was stupid. I didn't listen to your Holy Spirit. I recognized when you did that and when you said that and when that happened in my heart, that was you speaking. And I ignored you because I was trying to be a good Christian instead of an obedient follower of you. And the two aren't the same. Being a good Christian isn't necessarily the same as being an obedient follower of the Spirit's leadings. Because being a good Christian can sometimes look like us doing stupid things so we look good on the outside when Jesus is telling us in the inside not to do them. And so we do these things. It might not be a big piece we've got to own up to, but we have to look at our own piece in it. That's P-I-E-C-E, not the other piece, just for that sentence. Now, here's the question, because I don't want you to go away and ask this question uh, for the rest of the week and say, Mark didn't answer it because I'm not going to answer it this morning, which is, how far should you go before you become irresponsible? I'm going to answer that, because I've got four weeks on this in later sessions. So don't think, don't think like, well, don't, don't spend all week talking about, well, it would just be irresponsible to do that in this relationship, because some relationships are bad. Some relationships are abusive. And we need to know where to put boundaries. And I'll talk about that in a, in a later session. But I just wanted to tell you I'm going to do that. Then you can stop worrying about whether I'm going to do it or not. Here's the big key that I learned. It is possible to have peace about a relationship when you have done all that you can do. When there is still no peace in the relationship. It is possible to have peace about a relationship when you have done all that you can do. And that is massive because we have to realize that we're trying to walk this with God, not on our own. So how do you do that? Well, after the uh, really challenging period a few years back, one of the things I did, I, I was just completely exhausted and I thought, well, what do I need to, what do I, how can I sort this? And I, I had this brainwave one day while praying. I think it was a God thing. Um, if it was only for this one moment, I'm going to tell you about. But I decided that I just needed to get away from everybody. So what I did is I booked myself in, in a nice uh, hotel for three days uh, with golf courses and spas and all that. And I went on my own. And here's what I discovered. I thought, this is going to be great. I'm just going to go out there. I'm going to swing my club around. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. Here's what I discovered. I discovered the reason why I hate golf. <laughs> because here's the thing about golf. People who are learning to play golf and aren't like pros, they live for the two or three holes that go right every time. Well, I played four rounds and didn't have a single hole that went right. And I realized at this moment that I hated golf. Having tried to play it for like 
15, 20 years, I realized actually me and golf just don't get on. And that was, that was a good thing for me to learn because it stops me wasting four hours rummaging around in bushes looking for a little white thing about that big. And, and so I, I, I was playing golf. And one of the things when you're playing golf, you say, I was good at a certain aspect of golf. Because when I was a kid, um, in, in our part of the world, the big thing that people do is they, socially, socially, is they go, I know it's weird, they go and play putting. And we have putting and pitch and put courses coming out of your ears in the ladies. Why? Because we've got bumpy ground. It works for us. You know, it's not this flat stuff. We, we've got like challenges. So we play pitch and put. I played pitch and put as a kid. I played putting. So if I get within 50 yards of where I'm aiming for, I'm brilliant. Because I've done it all my life. It's the, it's the sort of 400 yards before I get there that's turned out to be the problem. But here's what happens. When you're putting... Uh, I don't know if you, anybody watch golf on TV. Anybody play golf? Yeah. Sad person, Angie. Uh. <laughs> so here's what golfers do. You, you see them and you, I, you know, when you watch them, you think, oh, that's, that's great. So basically, let's say my, my ball is here and, and the, the hole's there. Now, got putting greens aren't flat. They're like all wiggly. It's meant to be a challenge. Just sadism. Here's what you see golfers do. They don't just come up and whack the ball into the hole. What you see them do is they'll, they'll look at the green, they'll, they'll go down like that, and then they do this. They take a long walk round, and they go right round the green, look at all the green, and especially look at it from the other side. Why? Because you can see things from the other side that you couldn't see when you're over there. The way light is, the perspective is completely different. And this is what I learned on, on this uh, time, these three days of masochism playing golf in order to fix my soul. This is what I learned. That the reason why people do that, well, the reason why golfers take that long walk around is so they can see things from the other side and see things they wouldn't have seen from where they are. And here's how this, this helps us, because we can all take a step. So far as it depends on us, we can all take a step. And that step is called empathy. Empathy. What is empathy? Well, in this context, it's this. It's to deliberately set out to see things from the other person's perspective. It's to deliberately set out to see things from the other person's perspective. You see, what happens when we do that is some pretty strange things. Firstly, when we take that, I, let's call it the long walk round of empathy. And when we take that long walk round and we look at stuff from the other side, what we find is some really interesting things. Not all the time, but some of the time. And one of the interesting things we find is that when the person who is over here is looking at it from their perspective, very often they believe they're the one in the right. They may not be. They may be totally wrong, but they believe they're the one in the right. And that's a real challenge. Because when you're trying to fix a relationship, if both sides aren't playing this game, 
you've got an issue and that's what we encounter that's why things some things aren't fixable here's the other thing when you take that long walk round of empathy you're suspending judgment you're not saying what they did was okay because it wasn't actually you might find out it was from their perspective but let's just assume for the moment it isn't you take that long walk round of empathy you're not saying it's okay you're not and this is really important you're not saying the way you feel about it isn't valid you're not saying the way you feel about it is necessarily wrong you're just saying i need to see if i've missed something is there something i'm not understanding here's the third thing that happens when we um we take that long walk round of empathy we realize that people's emotions aren't necessarily working like our emotions work and there's emotions tied up in these things and so this this taking this step this long walk round of empathy helps us in that process of having peace about the relationship Here's what empathy is. Empathy is trying to feel and understand what the other person is feeling. Not what you're feeling, but what they're feeling. It kind of it's a key that helps lead to a dialogue. And a dialogue may fix the relationship. It has words attached to it like this. Hey, I need to hear why you think this. I need to try and understand why you're feeling that way. I need to to try and see things from your side. Can you help me? Okay? If you don't take that long walk round of empathy, as long as you continue to look at it from purely your side, all you will see is the fracture line. Because you can't see it from any other perspective. So all you see is the fracture line. Here's the thing about empathy. The little thing I wanted to talk about. When you when you when you fracture your, your arm and or cut yourself or whatever, what do you do? You put a plaster on it. Empathy is first aid for bad blood. Empathy is first aid for bad blood. You see, here's what I learned. And, and remember that relationship I talked about at the start where somebody, there was the confrontation that took place in the corridor and we had the ultimatum and then the person went. Okay, So I was talking, I actually kept working away at that relationship year on year so far as it depended on me and I guess it was only about a year and a half ago um, I actually bumped into sat down and had a coffee with the person they were somewhere I, 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 I didn't expect them to be sat down had a coffee with them and said look let's talk and here's the thing and I said look for the extent that it was my fault I'm really sorry if I did stuff that really upset you I'm really sorry I didn't intend that, but if I did, and that's how it made, you know, you felt like that, and it made you feel like that, then I am really sorry. 
This is what they said. You can be sorry, but we can't be friends. Because I gauge friendship by loyalty. And you chose to be loyal to the other person and not to me. Now, that's not right. However, this is what happened. It gave me peace about the relationship. Because I'd taken the long walk round of empathy and I realised that even though that person was a total idiot for thinking like that, in love, <laughs> nevertheless, that made sense to them. That was their value system. That's how they felt. And I could go, okay, I understand. I understand why we can't be friends. Because I don't think like that. And that enabled me to have peace about the relationship, even though there is no peace in the relationship. Are you starting to get this? Because these, these are massive things. It took me, this has taken me my life to work out. And, and you can only work these out in like the crucible of fire. So... <laughs> If, if you want to avoid as many crucibles of fire as I had, you just need to listen to these things and you might avoid some. Because the, the guy in Bible school I trained at says this. He says, you can learn from the school of hard knocks, but there's a better way. You can learn from what I did. You can learn from my hard knocks. And, and that, that's how this works. Here's the difference between sympathy and empathy. I'm not asking you to be sympathetic to a person. I'm talking about empathy. And sometimes the two get confused in people's minds. Here's the difference. Imagine somebody who is stupid, messing up their life and digging a hole. And they're just shoveling away and shoveling away and shoveling away and they can't see that all they're doing is digging themselves deeper. They think they're actually trying to dig themselves out, but you can see all they're doing is digging themselves deeper. Here's what sympathy does. Sympathy jumps in the hole with the person with a brand new spade and starts helping them dig. Because you, you, you get alongside them and you're basically saying, yeah, I understand what you're going through. Let me be with you in what you're going through and participate in it. Participate in all those emotions you've got and do that. That doesn't really help people. It does actually make them feel better that they've got somebody in the hole with them digging, but it doesn't help them get out of the hole. Empathy helps people get out of holes because empathy says, I know you're feeling, but I am not getting in there with you. What I'll do is I'll kneel on the side, I'll put my hand down and I'll pull you up. But I'm not getting in with you, but I understand how you feel. There's a big difference between empathy and sympathy. Here's the thing. I kind of know from my experience, you won't want to do any of this. I think that when Jesus and Paul talk about relationships, they're some of the hardest things to actually implement in our lives. And I know I still don't want to do any of this. But I do know it works. And here's the thing about taking that long walk around. You are not trying to excuse what they did to you. You're not saying what they did is okay. You're not saying you were actually wrong to be hurt by it. 
you were, you were right to be hurt by it. Not always, but, you know, let's get the right perspective. Sometimes we'll find out we were wrong to be hurt by it. But generally, what we're not trying to do is excuse behaviour or negate how we feel. What we're trying to do is make sense of why they did what they did. Because the most painful thing about a relationship gone bad is we can't understand why the person did what they did. Because it's incomprehensible to us. And so even if there is never anything that improves, if you take that walk around of empathy and get some understanding, you will be helped because you'll feel better. And the purpose is to get you some freedom. And you'll feel better. And here's something else you'll find. Sometimes you'll find that contrary to what you believed, that thing that they did to you wasn't personal. They do that very same thing to everybody. They're just jerks. But at least you'll have taken the walk around and found out that they're a jerk, won't you? And it won't be personal to you, and you won't think it's all down to you. That's another benefit of taking that long walk around. It's good when you can laugh about serious topics, isn't it? It's See, things appear totally irrational to us, otherwise there wouldn't be a fracture. But there is some logic to it from the other person's perspective. There are one or two relationships in my life where I have never, ever seen any logic to the way they behave towards me. There must be some, but I've never been able to find it. I, ca I can't comprehend why some people have done the things that they've done. But... That's okay, because I know that if I've done everything as far as I can do, I can have peace about that relationship. I can put it aside and not let it ruin my life anymore. Here's the other thing that I found, and, and this was a kind of a, a biggie for me. Uh, and again, it was a little throwaway comment from this guy with the amazing name, Clay Scroggins. And it was this, and he said, I'll, I'll read it to you. When you've taken the long walk around and seen what you need to see, you write it down so you can have closure. And that was massive to me, because what happens with a lot of things is they become running sores that you never get closure on. And so, kind of like, I'm sharing my heart with you this morning. But he, here's what I did. Where, there's the, I, I, where there was those relationships where I'd taken that long walk around and I cannot comprehend how they did what they did. Here's what I did. I wrote to each of them. And I said, this is how I think you're feeling. This is what I acknowledge was down to me. However, I now believe I have done everything I can to repair or to try and reconcile in this relationship. So far as it is down to me, I believe I have done everything I can. 
my understanding is that you don't want to do this. You don't want to walk it through on the basis of what Jesus has said about restoring relationships. You don't want to uh, restore so that you can remain part of the fellowship. Because Jesus says, he's got hard words, he says, you know, if you've got something against your brother, don't go to church. Go sort it out. And I said, I, I, I think, you know, that that's where you're at. You've made it clear to me that you don't want to talk. You've made it clear to me that you don't want to have any relationship. And whilst I might not understand it, I acknowledge your right to do that. And I wrote to each of the persons, because there was more than one person involved, and slightly different letters to each of them, and I said, this is it. That's my understanding of your position. If I'm wrong, I'm really sorry. And I would welcome a response to tell me where I'm wrong. But for me, I bless you, but I'm closing the book and I'm getting on with my life. If at any time you want to say that any of those places has changed, come back. But for me, right now, I am closing the book. Here's what happened. I got absolutely no response from anybody. So I can't do anything to take it any further. So, for, so far as it is down to me, I had done what I could do. That means, and this is huge for me, and it will be huge for you when you do it, I've got peace about those relationships, even those, though those relationships, there is no peace in them. And that's not, that's not the end of the story. Stuff's gone on since then. But the reality is, I've got peace about it. I'm not thinking about it. I'm not bothered about it. I'm not, like, I've got no angst about it. I'm not expending any energy on it. I'm free. Why? Because I've got peace about the relationship, even though there's no peace in it. Because I know I've done everything that I could, and I've given every opportunity I can, and I've said that's closure for me. It's really important what we write down. It's really important what we speak out. You still with me? You see, if you don't write it down, here's what I discovered by when I didn't used to do that. I discovered that every time I thought I'd drawn a, a relationship to an end, I would persecute myself about whether I'd done enough to fix it. And then I'd give some more. And I'd give some more. And I'd end up apologising for things I'd never done, saying sorry for stuff that was never, ever my fault, and even trying to look for things that I might have done that I hadn't seen that I'd done and nobody thought I'd done but could have done, just in case that might fix it. And, and it doesn't work. So I found that by actually writing it down and saying, this is where I'm at, this is where I think you're at, and for me that's closure, it gave me closure. And I've got peace, which is cool. Here's the thing. Here's the thing I want you to see. I'm going to finish with this, which is good. I'm on time. I'm finishing on time. <laughs> there is an incredible saviour we have called Jesus. And Jesus did something absolutely amazing. He didn't just stay in heaven saying, how do we fix this? He came to earth and he took the long walk round of empathy 
so he could see things from our perspective. Feel what we feel, be tempted in every way just as we are, and go through everything we go through. Jesus didn't sit a long way away and criticise. He came round our side, he took the long walk round of empathy, and he saw things from our perspective. And then he said, they can't do it, can the Father? There isn't another way. Needs me to die for them. I've got to lay down everything because I've seen it from their perspective and they can't do it themselves. I've got to die for them. You see, when Jesus and Paul write these things, particularly from Paul expressing Jesus' heart, what he's saying is this, when I'm asking you to forgive, I'm just saying forgive because I've forgiven you. When I'm asking you to love, I'm saying love because I love you. When I'm asking you to show mercy, I'm asking you to show mercy because I showed mercy to you. And he's saying to you this, whatever the factors in your relationships, will you do what I did? Take that long walk round, see what you can see and write it down. And do everything you can do so far as it's down to you. You can't fix everybody and there will be many that reject you like they rejected me. There will be many that turn their backs on you like they're turning their backs on me. But I want you to have peace. I want you to do this for me. I want you to do it for somebody else. But most of all, because I love you, I want you to do it for you. I want you to do it for you because I don't want you to have these things that just take your life and take all your energy and turn you into somebody that you're not. I want you to be free and I'm going to help you with it. Amen. Here's the thing I want you to do. Just, just stand with me. We're going to pray. <coughs> Now, if, you, if you're anything like me, you've been rehearsing this whole preach through a relationship or more than one relationship. And so I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to help each one of us as individuals to know how to apply these principles to those relationships. And then, just before you go for tea and coffee, I'm just going to ask you to like write it down, make a note on your phone, put a reminder on there that you're going to do it later, but do it. Just sit down and go, God, I want freedom from all this stuff. 
I want freedom. I want to. I want to be able to have peace, even where there's no peace in the relationship. And I'm asking you to help me. And you need to make it specific. It's not a general principle. You just make it specific. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you for sending Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, that you came. That you took that long walk round to see things from our perspective. And that when you saw that we couldn't do it, you did it for us. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to move on our hearts to repair that which is damaged, to restore that which is hurt, to give back the energy that the enemy has stolen. And Lord, I'm also asking you to give me clarity and each one of us clarity as to what we have done, what we should do. Have we done all that we should or could so far as it's down to us? And Lord, when we have that knowledge that we have, I'm asking you to give us peace about that relationship. A peace that that doesn't come from natural things, that doesn't come from having to have fixed everything, but is a supernatural peace, a peace beyond understanding. So just put your hands on your hearts. Father, I'm asking for impartation of peace. Where there's a, a hurt heart, a broken heart, a bleeding heart, I'm asking by your Holy Spirit just now to give that peace which passes all understanding. Peace that the world cannot give, but only you can. In Jesus' name. Amen.